Hey there, this is Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley. It's a podcast about making things up and making things happen. I talk to different creative people about what they do and how they keep doing it and keeping going through all the ups and downs. And today my guest is an actor named Alex Wise. He was recently in the Broadway production of Spring Awakening, the Deaf West production that was on Broadway. He also appears regularly on The Bold and the Beautiful, and he's done a lot of other cool stuff. I had a fun uh, way of meeting him and getting to know him a couple years ago. So we talk about all that stuff. Uh, But before we get into that, I want to thank all of my Patreons for um, sponsoring me on Patreon.com and getting their one episode a month bonus. Um, If you're interested in doing that, go to Patreon.com and search for Dennis, uh, Dennis Anyone. Or there's also a link on the DennisAnyone.net website. Um, That's also where you can email me or you can donate to my virtual tip jar. It helps me keep the podcast going and cover the expenses that come up. And um, there's also sometimes fun pictures that go with the different podcasts. Um, I would also love it if you wanted to follow me on Twitter at Hensley Dennis or like the Dennis Anyone Facebook page. I appreciate that. It all comes together. Any support means a lot. So thanks a lot. And without any further ado, here is Alex Wise. Hey there. I am in the Los Feliz area apartment of our guest today, Alex Wise. Hi, Dennis. He's an actor on fire. You're on fire. And right as we were starting, you said that you saw Wonder Woman last night. And you were were like ebullient. Yeah, it was... um Outstanding. It delivers. It delivers. Um, it's like 1-800-CONTACTS where it delivers and you save. I and love it. Yeah. Uh, I just found it to be so exciting and one of the best superhero movies that I've seen in a while. And how cool that it's a female-centric superhero movie. And let's hope that more of those are made I now. I know. People, we almost can't believe it's good when you start to hear the buzz. Like, you're like... Well, what's so crappy about the world? We, one of the many things that's crappy about right. the world, like, that if this movie wasn't good or didn't do well, then the terrible studio heads would say, well, we can't make any more female movies. You right. Know? But it's like every every female-driven movie that comes out has to prove itself, which is so ridiculous. Yeah, Wonder Woman, had, she had a lot on her plate. She had a lot to prove. She did, and thankfully How's she, the girl? How's the woman? The actress? Wonderful. Who I hadn't heard of really before. She's also the prettiest person I've ever seen. Right. Her name is Gal Godot, I think. Right. Or, or, I, I don't know how to say her last name, so right. forgive me. Um, but I, of course, looked her up, and yes, she's Jewish. Right on. I know, and um, and I just kept thinking the entire time, like, God, no one at my bar mitzvah looked like this woman. Right. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, speaking of Jewish, you yeah. play a character on The Young and the Restless. Uh, Bold and Beautiful. Bold and the Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry, I got it wrong. Don't worry, they're um, interchangeable. Bold and the Beautiful. <laughs> With a uh, uh, named Saul Feinberg. Yeah, yeah, a yeah. nice Christian boy. A nice Christian boy named Saul <laughs> Feinberg. Um, you also were in Spring Awakening on Broadway, the yes. Deaf West production. You were in Iron Fist recently on Netflix, but let's start with Young and uh, Bold and Beautiful. Okay. I can't believe I get that wrong. Oh, don't worry. It's okay because one, I mean, Bold and Beautiful is um, a spinoff of yes. The Young and the Restless. Right. So they do inhabit a lot of the same world. Yes, exactly. And, There's and, some overlap. Yeah. And we also film across the hall from each other. So, right. you know, I get confused sometimes where am I going and then I end up on The Young and the Restless set. So, was your role meant to be as long as it's been on, or were you... How did it come about? I'm not really sure what it was... I think it was intended to be um, 
at least a, a few months right. long, I think. And it's ongoing. Um, You're still there. I'm still there. I'm still, I'm still going. So uh, there was a, a character who was on in the 90s and 2000s named Saul Feinberg, who was an older man, who was the tailor of the infamous Sally Spectra. Of course. Who, right. Every, a lot of soap fans um, know and love Sally Spectra. And uh, both of those actors have since passed away. And this is the show bringing back... Uh, the younger generation. So I am Saul Feinberg's grandson, Perfect. named Saul Feinberg. Um, very original, and and uh, and then Sally Spectra's niece, also named Sally Spectra uh, Junior, I guess. Right. <laughs> um, we're both juniors. Uh, we both have come back, uh, and we are trying to resurrect Spectra fashions, and uh, chaos and intrigue ensues. You're a little conniving. A little conniving, yeah. yeah. Yeah, which which makes it kind of fun. I don't think that you know. I think my character started off as this kind of sweet, dorky, you know, uh, Jewish boy with a crush on Sally Spectra. Right. But uh, but I've exhibited some feistiness and uh, and I've schemed my way to stealing some designs from our competitors, Forrester design. Yeah, so it's fun. It's really fun. I get to, it's, um, I play some gray areas, which I quite enjoy. Yeah, you were, we were seeing more color with Saul. Yeah. And you find moments of comic relief, which I find really funny. Like, he wants to design and they won't let him. And he's like, but I can do, you know. <laughs> right. And he keeps kind of getting shut down, which I think is fun. Yeah, I think uh, Saul uh, gets shut down quite a lot. You right. Know? I play an underdog, but uh, but one who, who's still fighting. And that's why it's still interesting for me, because I still am trying to make my voice heard and say, right. no, Sally, look at me. I'm, I'm a viable yeah. option. I have all of these designs <laughs> right here or whatever. And, or, and I'm a designer. Exactly. You should love me and you should uh, work with me. Right. Now, to be on a soap opera and not have a name like Dirk or Brick must be kind of a little bit of a letdown. But, um, um, you know, as soon your as name I, has history, so it's good. Yes, I'm, I'm thankful that I get to play someone who... Uh, who is uh, written into the to the history books yes. of the show, and at the same time, uh, when I found out my name was Saul Feinberg, I went, "Ah, <laughs> yeah, kind of want to be a, on a soap. At least you want to be a. I want to be Dirk. Yes, I want them to want me. I want them to want me to take off my shirt. Yeah, I won't take off my shirt, but I want them to want me. To. Yes, exactly. Yeah. That's what it's about. Are there literally hunks doing push-ups in their dressing rooms on soap sets? Yes, not as many on um, the bold and the beautiful. Right, I think they have um, more character actors, which I really appreciate. I think they like bringing out the comedy of the show, which I really right. appreciate. So it makes me feel like I'm not totally a fish out of water. You know, I feel like there is a place for me there. I didn't That's know awesome. there was a place for me in soaps. I had no idea that I could ever be on a soap. I, I really, I, I thought that it was for models. I thought it was for. I just didn't think that. As someone like me could find himself in that world, and I'm so uh, thankful to have been proven wrong and to be on this very strange and very wonderful journey in this uh, in this whole new this whole new world. What's fun about it? Well, I feel like I uh, the days that I go to set, it's like we're doing a different play every day. And, and you uh, don't have a lot of rehearsal. You gotta, you gotta no. kind of crank. We just kind of go. So it, it's a it's a real test in. Um, in keeping me on my toes, and uh, it challenges me to make um, fast, creative choices, 
and to uh, always have to find an angle into the scene. Because a lot of times on soaps, I think, uh, sometimes the story develops, but sometimes you're repeating information, you know, because uh, the way those uh, work is, you know, different uh, storylines come to the forefront in different episodes. Sometimes your storyline moves along, sometimes yours is being stalled or, you know. And so I have to, so the challenge for me as an actor is how do I make that, interesting every time how do i make it feel like it's new information or like my character is developing even when it's not really developing so that's been a cool challenge but also the people i work with are amazing they're outstanding actors who uh are very collaborative and kind and fun and i feel like i'm a part of this uh little soap family that um has been a a real blessing what's it like when people from the watch the show see you out and about because soap fans are their own thing. <laughs> yeah, they are. Um, well, to be honest, it doesn't happen very much, but I also right. don't get out very much. Right. Um, <laughs> I stay home. I have a you lot. You have a cool view and a nice place here. Thank you. And yeah. I have a lot of... But the best view is, like, my Netflix. You know? Yeah, exactly. I have a lot of Netflix to catch up on. Right. So that's, that's me going out. Um, right. Uh, but... Uh, when anyone recognizes me from the show, I'm, I'm very um, thankful because it hasn't happened very much yet. What do they say, though? Do they talk about the storylines or they just love the show? Or I think... Do, do they ever think, oh, you're a bad guy? Or do they no, ever talk I don't to, think like, people think that I'm a bad guy. Yeah. Um, people think I might be a shady guy. Yeah. Um, or... Uh, there's some people... You know, I know people get very involved in the characters, which is really cool. Yeah. So I've seen a lot of comments at me online like you have no chance with sally you know right. stand, stand down yeah <laughs> uh, but uh, uh it's cool to be a part of something with such passionate fans who really um in a lot of ways believe these characters are real and are investing in them like they are so uh uh, and and the couple of fans I've met like to tell me about their history watching the show. Right, it's really tied to their own personal histories. Right. I met I met something really... you used to do with their mother. Like yeah, I remember watching yeah. Guiding Light with my mother, and that was like something we we uh, did together. It brings people together. Yeah, yeah. And this woman, woman I met in uh, in line for her bathroom, she said, "Oh, I watch you, and I've been watching since the beginning, since 1987." And and it brought up her own. Life, the timeline of her life, which was really cool that I, you know, to feel like I am a small part of someone's um, journey with this show, yeah. which is long. 30 years. 30 years. What's, what's it like to work on something that's been around for so long? Is it, does it feel like they've been in that studio forever? Are there uh, odds and ends around? Like, when, do you, when are you sort of aware of, like, wow, this thing has been going for 30 years? Well, the only ways in which it feels like it's been there forever, it, you know, it doesn't feel tired or stale. No, but, but, it, it, but it feels, everybody there feels very comfortable. Right. Everyone is very kind and has figured out ways to work together well as a family. Um, that's and, cool. And, yeah, and, and I mean that. I'm not just like, you know, selling my show. Right, but like yeah. everyone's really, really nice to me and, uh, and, and supportive. And they've figured out how to create a, an efficient and supportive atmosphere. So that's why I'm very glad when I get to go to work there because uh, it's a really nice place. To Is be. it at the CBS lot on uh, yeah, this, uh, by Television City? Yeah, yeah, CBS at the like Where the Price is Right is? Yeah, we're... we're um, Right next door to the Price is Right, which is so Please cool. Please tell me you've 
Spun the big wheel. I have. What's it like <laughs> to spin the big wheel? Is it heavy? Because sometimes people don't get it all the way around, and you're like, how heavy can that thing well, be? I only spun it just a little bit just right. to get a feel yeah. for it because, you know, I, I mean, it was, you know, the, the wheel was sitting in the hallway. This was after hours. Of course. I didn't want to get in trouble. Because um, if you spin it really hard, it goes around and around, and your chance for getting caught is much is, longer. Is much longer. I yeah. wanted there to be a very short window where I could get caught. <laughs> yes. I don't want to get fined or thrown out of I there. Know. You know, so I waited until I was one of the last people at the studio. Uh, you know, it's probably ten at night, and everyone from the Price is Right had certainly gone. Sure. Home. I really hope none of them are listening to this podcast, but I also hope they all are. Exactly. Um, <laughs> um, and I just I gave it a little spin. It, it had some weight to it. You I know? you think it does. Yeah. Um, I also what, don't have a lot of upper body strength. What about the hottie model, the guy on The Price is Right? Is he just around all the time? Who? There's like a, a male model now that shows off the jet skis. No it's, way. It's not, just, it's not just the ladies. I don't think I've seen him. Yeah. Or maybe if I it's did, cute. I just thought he was someone on The Young and the Restless. Exactly. Which, you know, I mean, I don't um, My favorite thing about when Bob Barker used to host The Price is Right, if somebody didn't get the wheel all the way around, mm-hmm. he had so much contempt for them. Like you know, because you have to redo it if it doesn't go all the way around. It doesn't. It's not a. It's not a valid spin. But contempt. It really was underneath. Like, oh, give it another shot. Like he was really. Oh my God. He really, I felt like it was like a pet peeve of his, and you could just see the daggers in his eyes. But all right, know, I'd Susie, like to try see, it again. I'd like to see him spin the wheel. I know. The only thing he, yeah, he he doesn't work out. He just holds a microphone. I know. Here I am bashing Bob Barker. On I know. Here, Bob. I don't know if he's dead or not. I think he's alive. Okay, good. I'm glad. And I say that based on nothing. Yeah, um, I love it. And you were around all that, the Plinko boards around? And all all of them. All the sets are all in the hallway. I walk by all of them. That's so cool. I've taken some secret pictures in front of the sets and oh, set them to my I family. It. I love it. Uh, oh, another great thing in that hallway is um, uh, the, I think it's, I believe it's the Young and the Restless soundstage um, where they, I think it's that one. Where they filmed the Judy Garland show. Oh wow! And so Judy Garland's piano is sitting in the hallway of oh my uh, CBS. And so I played, I played over the rainbow on her piano. You have? Yeah. By yourself? Were you just there alone? Yeah. That's I, so I cool. had my friend film it. I put a little clip up on my Instagram. But, oh, that's awesome! But I just want you know, just to have a little. That's uh, an amazing thing. I thought so too. Is it? Good? Does it sound good? Is it a good yeah. tune? And it's yeah. nice. Has a nice touch. Has a nice touch. Uh, I didn't know you played piano, but I'm not I surprised. Do. Oh, yeah, I, I play some piano. That's yeah. awesome. Is it? What's your Instagram handle? Um, Alex J Wise. Okay, cool. I'm uh, the letter out. J and then W Y S E. Nice. Yeah. Um, how do you learn the lines for yourself? It's it's. it's for as far as memorization, it's kind of like boom, go, uh-huh. kind of. Well, there are some days where it's kind of easy because I have two lines in a scene. Yeah. And it's, you know, I look at it before and I just say it. And I only have to say it once, so, <laughs> or right. twice. A lot of things are just one take, right? Yeah, so you better pull it out on that first take. Right. Do they uh, do many um, pickups or, or coverage or? Uh, coverage, no. Only if they have to shoot. Um, some, uh, sometimes we'll do a stop tape. Like if we go from one room into the next room, they have yeah. to move all the cameras. Right. And so we pause the tape and all the cameras move and then we continue the scene. Right. But usually um, they have it all set up where three cameras are pointing at you at once. So it's kind of like a – it looks – you know, the way the set looks, it's all like a three-camera sitcom except it's a three-camera drama. Right. And so you just kind of do the scene as one piece and then they might go through and do the whole thing again maybe um, or – or they'll just say, uh, we need to pick up these couple of lines. So why right. don't we start here and 
we'll do these three lines, and then they have it. They have it all. That's so cool. Yeah, it's really fast. It's so so fast. To, so that's you, that's the challenge. You can't be like, I'll warm up and nail it on the third take. No, you gotta just. You gotta do bring it. it. You gotta bring it. And and there are some things I've looked at of myself on the show and thought, okay, I brought it there. And some things where it's been a learning experience, and right. I thought I can do this better. And do you get much direction about character or things like that, or do people just kind of know what they're doing and do their thing? And you um, were hired because you bring it. I think at the beginning they had yeah. more direction for my character, but now, uh, but now I have a better handle on it, and yeah. also they're writing more specifically for me. Yeah. So uh, we kind of met each other in the middle, and so they give us direction in terms of our blocking, right. and sometimes um, some intentions, like hey, let's tighten this up, and, and let's make you really convince her on this line instead yeah. of, you know, playing the sweetness, but really convince her of your plan. Yeah. You know, things like that. That's um, cool. It is cool. Now soaps are kind of. Do, you know, they, they're not as many as there used to be and all of that stuff. Do you hear much about that in the air? Are people afraid of ratings? Are they worried about the future of the show? Is that, is that, is that theme something that you, are, you sense there? Because I think Bold and the Beautiful does well. I think it does well. Um, I don't think... I haven't felt any sense in the air of uh, people being worried about um, their jobs, being right. worried about... The show or just soaps in general, and are we, you know? Yeah, I think people are worried about. Um, they want their art form to uh, be respected and to be the best it can be. Like I got to go to the daytime Emmys this year. Oh yes. And I went um, with Heather Heather Tom, excuse me. Um, I went with Heather Tom as one of the actors on our right. show, and it was nominated. She's a big advocate for the GLBT community. She was always sort of. Different at different events and stuff like that, so we like her anyway. Yeah, I, I really like it. And she and I have the same manager. Okay. So we all kind of went as a little group to the to the daytime Emmys, and um, and Heather said she said, "Wow, that really was a great show this year. I am so glad that this year the production value was so much better, and that it makes our community look better, and it, it represents our world better. And and I get that that they want that they don't want um, you know a, a cheap show." They want uh, their their daytime Emmys, for instance, to be as uh, as upscale as their show can be. Right. So I right. think that's more the concern is that you know bringing the respect and the um, and and bringing as much artfulness to a soap as possible. Yeah. Because yes, they have to do it quickly, but they still want it to be of quality. They want it to be as good as it can be. Yeah. So that that's seems cool. to be more of the concern and, and, right. and the goal, which I'm so happy about that they're concerned yeah. about, you know, how can we make this line of dialogue better? Right. And how can we play the scene better? That's more interesting. And there hasn't been any panic in the air about will we be around next year? Yeah. Or, you know, how are soaps doing? All yeah. That. that being said, just watch me like single-handedly bring it down. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Nonsense. Not the first thing I've closed. <laughs> I was telling a friend the other night how we met. Do you remember how we met? Yeah, I do. I'm, it was a rooftop event. You saved me. In this era, in this neighborhood, it actually. Was. It was like a salon where they were going to read, like, these actor friends were going to read, like, Noel Coward plays or something. Does that sound right? <laughs> no, that's right. And it was Sam Pancake and Drew Drogi and some other friends. And my yeah. friend Jeb invited me. And we got there kind of early, and we're out on this rooftop in some funky house in Los Feliz or Silver Lake. And I'm there with my friend Jeb, and you walk in... And it's early. Uh-huh. And you were straight from the airport, right? And you were moving out here. Yeah. It was the first day I was here. I'd right. gotten off the plane. I think I dropped off my bags at my friend's right. place. And I went to this event because uh, my friend Hale Appleman was, uh, was in the reading. Hale's right. on The Magicians, which you should check out. Um, 
and and I went to this event. I was so lost. I didn't know a single person, and you took pity on this <laughs> sweet, sad boy, and uh, and we started chatting. I just remember you were saying, "Yeah, I just moved here." I'm like, "Well, sit down here and be our friend." You were so nice, right? To Something me. like that. You were so nice to me, and I am. I've always been very thankful for that. Well, you were nice. You're anyway. I'm a monster. Um, <laughs> you may remember that Alex, if you were been listening to the podcast for a while, you might have listened to the episode where we did. Uh, recorded reading of my misadventures in the two one three pilot, and Alex played Craig Claiborne. Wait, and was that on it. the podcast? I think I, sh- I think I shared it that way because that was a way that it could live online. You know? Wait, really? Yeah, I have to listen to that. I, it's there. I don't think I knew. Our that mutual friend John Tolan said he listened to it and really enjoyed it. Oh my god! I have yeah, to it's to there. This. I will. I'll send you the link. Please send me the link. Yeah, it's <laughs> um, there. Um, but anyway, and then so we met, and then we started hanging out here and there, and. And then you started, like, appearing in things, and I'm like, oh, my God, he's so good at stuff. Thank you, Dennis. Which brings us to Deaf West Spring Awakening production. <laughs> um, you, you did it out here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you played the, George, is that how they pronounce uh, Georg. it? Georg. Georg. Yeah. And then it went to Broadway. Yeah. What was that like, being on Broadway with that show? Uh, it was a dream come true. I, so I can tell you a, uh, I can tell you a nutshell version of how I came out here and all that. Right, because I remember you were a little over New York. Yeah, I, um, I so I had been on Broadway before. I did one show that did not last very long called Lysistrata Jones, and it was very heartbreaking. And uh, I spent the next uh, couple of years just trying and trying and trying. I got to get back to Broadway, and right. uh, you know I needed my fix. Um, right, <laughs> and uh, you needed to you needed to. Have a different experience at Broadway, I think. I did, because the first one for me was heartbreaking. Right. I loved the show. Lisa Strata Jones was a good show, and it just it just didn't sell. No one, uh, you know, just no one came to and see it. And it was a musical. Yeah, it was a musical. Yeah. Um, and uh, it was heartbreaking for me. Yeah. Because it was my dream come true, and three weeks later, it all crashed down. And I just sat on a couch every day for a week and cried. I didn't know what to do with myself. It was so shocking. Um, and I was young, you know, it was one of my first things. You would have been, how old do you think? Oh, gosh. Well, let's see. If I'm 24, wink, now, then yeah. I must have been just a mere 18 yeah. at the time. Um, I don't know. I was, But I was, like, right out of school. Yeah. I mean, it was uh, one of the first things I ever did. And, uh, and so, anyway, um, I, I, did, I, work, I kept working in New York, but I was becoming uh, disillusioned and having a tough time. Yeah. And having a tough time on a personal level. And so then... Uh, L.A. just kind of started happening to me. I got a job out here on Masters of Sex, and so I came here. I, I, I was really into that show at the time that you were on it. I kind of let it go because there's too many shows. But yeah. I remember you. You were like you were a, worked in a hotel where Masters and Johnson used to sort of rendezvous to That's have right. sex. Like in the second season, or was it the first season? It was the second season. Second season, yeah. Yeah, so. I got to do this one really beautiful episode called Fight, I think, it's season two, yes, episode it's three. Intense. It's really great, and it's a great kind of bottle episode where yeah. it's really just the two of them, just um, yeah. Michael Sheen and Lizzie Kaplan and, uh, and, and me, which was cool. So how did you get that job when you were living in New York? Off a of self-tape. Wow. And, I, and I'd never worked in Los Angeles before. Anyway, I came out here, and then uh, coupled with uh, you know L.A. feeling like a new frontier and also New York feeling like it was beating me down... I decided to give LA a shot, and I moved yeah. out here. You were the first person I met here. Really? Yeah. 
Yeah. Wow. The first person I That's met. That's amazing. Who wasn't, you know, a friend I'd already made in New York. Yeah. Right. Um, a new person. You were my first new person. Aww. I know. You've always been very special to me, Dennis. It's, Thank you. That means a lot to me. Yeah. Um, so, so, uh, so sorry. So, no, uh, long story short, I, um, I ended up, uh, Michael Arden, uh, who directed Spring Awakening, right. uh, is, a, is an old friend of mine because he, his uh, now husband is Andy Mientis, and Andy and I started out acting together in New York. Andy was on Smash. Yes, Andy was Kyle on Smash. Poor Kyle. Yeah, I know. The lesson is don't do a number when you're walking through a busy city. Kyle got ran over while doing a number, or right after doing a number. Yeah. He was so cute, though, and, and he was one of the composers. He was in season two. I love Smash. Smash is great. It's such I, a... I mean, it, it drove me nuts sometimes, but I miss it yeah. so much, and I listen to that music all the time. Anyway... It's, so he's he went to school with him and his his husband is Michael Arden. Right. So um so what happened was somebody, by total luck on my on my end, uh, somebody dropped out of Spring Awakening and I uh, and Michael asked me to be in it because he knew I was already out here. It was right. going to be a short run at the Wallace Annenberg here in Beverly Hills, and right. he said, "Do you want to do this? You're you're right for this part. Do you want this job?" And I said, ah, "Okay." Here I go. Now, I'm, it's been a while since I've seen it. Your character is the one that has the, the plays the piano? Yes. That, I, that likes the, the teacher in her breast? That's right. Okay. And, and the big moment is uh, singing Touch Me. Yeah. Which I got to do on Late Night with Seth Meyers. You should check that out on YouTube. Definitely. I saw that on your IMDb page. Yeah. That's amazing. So that's the number that they did on Seth Meyers? Yes. Oh, yes. that's so cool. And then we did The Bitch of Living on the Tony Awards, which is another... I mean, it, it, it I was mean, such a I wild... I want to talk about all of this stuff. I, it was such a wild journey. So you, you went into the show, they asked you, you didn't have to audition. No, I, I was very yeah. lucky in that I just got asked to do this because um, I was right for this, I was here, and, and Michael and Andy were friends of mine. And they so asked me... Perfect. To, it, it Brand was, new theater, great show. I adore that show. I think its themes are so powerful about how we don't tell young people about what's happening in their bodies. And like the damage we do to people, young people, by not being honest about sexuality and... Um, and I think what's so cool about that is what Deaf West did, what Michael Arden did with Deaf West, is he used deafness to amplify those themes and yes. created even more of a chasm between the adults and the children or the hearing world versus the deaf world. Right. It was incredible. So it made that lack of communication and, and the consequences of that um, even more dramatic. Um, what, what's it, did your character do any sign or? Yeah. 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 Everyone I, did, right? Yeah. I had to, uh, I had to learn not only, uh, the songs and the script and the staging, but I had to learn a new language too. And I was signing while I was speaking, which is called Simcom. Yeah. Um, it was so hard and it really, you know, the way they talk about it in theater school, how you get broken down and built back up. Yeah. I felt like doing Spring Awakening was another um, version of that in my life that I, I felt so um, I felt so stripped of any uh, kind of like tricks I had used or any safety net I had and I was completely exposed on that stage I was dropped into the middle of a new culture that being the deaf culture and all of us got to go through this major life experience together of doing this little show that could in Los Angeles and then it being swept up to Broadway and it just being this it, it was so monumental to me and it felt like 
me on a personal level, it felt like me having or completing that um, moment I wish I had had with Lysistrata Jones. Right. And but the thing is, had I not had my heart broken on that show, I don't think it would have sent me down the path to do Spring Awakening, which changed my life. Wow, you're the second person in in a month that that talked about getting kind of a do-over in a way of something that really meant a lot to them. There was a screenwriter a couple of weeks ago um, that had that, he, he wrote um, Dumb and Dumber, but at the time that was happening, he co-wrote it, he was, per, his personal life was a mess and there was a lot of issues going on, and so he didn't feel it. And then they did the sequel, Dumb and Dumber 2, and it didn't do as well, it, didn't, you know, it wasn't the, the big hit that the other one was, but he got to experience it and be present for it, which is... It seems like you got to re-experience Broadway in a different way. Yeah. That's really cool. I like that story. And, and, and yeah, I felt that way, that, um, that I got to be a part of something that felt... I mean, I was so proud of it. I felt like I was also part of a social cause at the same time. Yeah, because it had we were, so much meaning. So much. We were representing disability on Broadway, which is so important to give disability a national stage like that. That's incredible to be alongside those incredible performers who don't get those opportunities otherwise and then have all of these audience members come and see the show so many of whom um, deaf or with disabilities or anyone who feels underrepresented could see themselves represented on stage like that and and I saw how and so I felt like not only was I doing something <laughs> on a selfish level, I got to have my Broadway moment over right. and I got to feel cool. I got, you know, that yeah. stuff existed. Got to sure. be a winner. Yeah, and which is great sometimes. Yeah. Um, but then at the same time, I felt like I was doing something important for right. people. So I felt like I was a social justice warrior at the same time. And I got to, I got to help a community and, and be a part of a cause. Is there a learning curve to how you... Ex- how you talk about deafness or, you know, was there a thing of, oh, I hope I don't say the wrong thing or I hope I don't do something inadvertently that, that people would be offended by or hurt by? Or is there that, that sort of aware, heightened awareness of like, of some, this new area and you really don't want to oh, yeah. fuck up? Oh, yeah. But what was so great is that all of um, my, my friends who are deaf, when I was um, learning about their language and their culture and, you know, I, they were so... Um, Welcoming, They were so um, supportive and wanted me to learn as much as I wanted to learn. And then what was cool also is they were trying to learn what it meant to um, move to music. Yeah. And, you know, they, they were... It was like they were in a different world, too. They were in a musical. Like there's music <laughs> and... Yeah. And then yeah. the, the, two, the two worlds had to meet. But you didn't have a lot of time. No. How did you learn sign and the show and all of that I mean, under that, the gun like that? Was it just endless hours? Yes, and ev- the first week I went home every day almost in tears. I was so overwhelmed, and I, I thought, I-, I don't know if I can do this. This is so much. And I I just remember, I think it's probably the fourth day of rehearsal, I went home and I just sat alone and had a glass of wine and thought, I- I'm in over my head. I-, I don't know if I can handle this. Right. But it- all of us supporting each other. Because, you know, the deaf people were in a world that they didn't know, and we were in a world that we didn't know. And so we were all, we were all on the line like that. There was an online video, a backstage video that I remember watching, tied to some occasion or something, where the camera went all the way around. Do you know what I'm talking about? Somebody, maybe you posted it or somebody posted it. 
Does it sound familiar? I'm not sure because there was thankfully a lot of videos yeah. of our rehearsal there was, process. Maybe there was one that was tied to a. It was about a cause. It wasn't necessarily oh, was about it, the show. Was it like a, a BuzzFeed video called "How to Make a Musical for the Deaf"? Maybe that was one that went around. That was a really yeah. fantastic video that showed a little bit about our process and about yeah. all of us working together. And yeah, it was, it was a That's cool video. Really cool. It's something to check out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was there anything that you posted? Did you post videos? I don't know. I made I a I made a comedic video. Yeah, what was it? I remember this. <laughs> um, so uh, uh, an ongoing joke that we all had is that every time you write "deaf" into your uh, into your iPhone, it yeah. auto corrects it to "dead." Yeah. So um, you know, so people would say, you know, uh, oh, my dead friends, you know, and yeah. it was just this running joke. Like, right. so what if? Deaf was actually dead. So I created a video called Spring Awakening and Autocorrect Nightmare. That's what um, I remember. And I did it with the entire cast. Right. And we, uh, <laughs> and I represented the deaf people at, it, it started off with some, with a misunderstanding with right. someone saying, hey, let's see Dead West's production of Spring Awakening. Yeah. It has real dead people. Yeah. <laughs> and then someone has a, a fantasy like, what does that mean? And imagines... Uh, and we kind of do a, a send-up of how people view um, deaf culture and replaced it with dead culture. Right. And, you know, um, some of my friends are hard of living. You know, yeah. so many uh, plays. It's a pretty ambitious thing to do. Thanks. I did it in one day. It was wow. really, it was really from conception yeah. to doing it to all of it. Yeah, I, yeah. I just, I did. I think the whole thing was about twenty four, maybe thirty six hours. Is it online now? On yes, YouTube? it's still on YouTube. Yeah. And I and I sent it to. Uh, in, to the theater outlets, and I said, "Put this up!" And thankfully, all of them picked I, it up. That's and, what I saw. And created a. And, and it was really neat. I had this little like uh, little moment. Yeah. Because what, I what do people creative. need to look for if they're going to go on YouTube? Uh, Spring Awakening and Autocorrect Nightmare. Okay. Yay! Yeah. All right. I'm going <laughs> to post about that too. Um, so when you were doing it in LA, was Broadway a possibility? Was it not something that had been thought about? Like, when did that start to be like, "Hey, we could take this to Broadway." I felt like signing up for the show, uh, I felt like there was a possibility. Yeah. I just had a feeling. Right. And the show, it was maybe 10 years ago that it was originally on, so yeah. it's kind of the right time, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Or maybe a little early. It, a um, little, people were saying, it's too soon, it's yeah. too soon. And I was so glad that we got to put many of those naysayers yeah. to rest. Because um, we got to reinvent the show. Yeah. Um, it wasn't just doing it again. Young people still have hormones. Yeah, yeah. Not a lot has changed. In fact, yeah. it's worse. It's um, worse. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I had a feeling when I signed up for it. But, um, but of course, you never know. And everything is a risk. And, you know, there are things I've had a feeling about before that didn't go anywhere. So. Well, and is there any question when that happens... Who they take, who they don't take, or is there any? Yes. Is, was there any suspense around that? Oh my God, yes. Uh, were you Were you concerned? Were you stressed? Like, or did uh, you feel like I think I'm I think I'm safe? I don't know. It's like being I, It's like being in a reality show and people are getting know, voted off. Honestly, it is. And and unfortunately, some people we did the show with um, at the Wallace Hammerberg didn't yeah. end up going to Broadway. Right. But that happens. And. And I've been a part of shows that have replaced me. Yeah, so, it's part of the business. It is, and it's yeah. very painful. Yeah. Um, and it still is happening, and it still will continue to happen because right. that's our business. Um, I felt like uh, there was a good chance I was going to go. I yeah. felt like I was really a part of this cast. I felt like I was going to go. That being said, I had been replaced before. I know I'm going to be replaced in the future. Yeah. And I was trying to keep my heart safe. 
And so I was really oh, just trying to keep my heart safe. Might be the name of this podcast. I give, I take a quote and make it the the thing. Uh, unless you say something dirty or something it's funny. <laughs> well, that's a good title. Um, I know. Um, what was your favorite moment of the show to do? Where you're like, oh, here it comes. Touch me. Yeah, because you have that great, powerful. Yeah, vote. I and, got and, to. And it's kind of like it kind of comes out of like, oh shit, moment. Like, you know, like because it it's later in the show, right? That's in the middle of the first in act. In the middle of the first act. And, we, um, and I got to stand, and you stand on a chair. On a, yes, you stand up and like... And just... And, and everyone is... It was, it was incredible. And uh, I got to have, a, you know, my big diva moment. <laughs> what does it feel like to have a big diva moment? Well, sometimes... A, it was a show like that. Well, you know, to be honest, it was... Um, one thing I wish I could go back and redo is I wish I would go out less after the show and, like, have fewer drinks. Right. And then I think I would have been a little more vocally consistent. Um, so, but uh, on the That's day... Yeah, well, you know, I think uh, something you learn as you get older is that you're not invincible. Right. right? Uh, and that's something I learned through that show, So I'm yeah. not invincible, and I need to take better care of myself, especially when I'm doing a musical. When I interviewed Celine Dion... Wait, did you interview Celine Yeah, Dion? it was right around Titanic for Cosmopolitan Magazine. Oh, my God. And she only... She talked... When we were doing the thing, but otherwise she was very like, I'm not talking. She probably had a lot of yeah. appearances to make around yeah. that time. She was, but she was very disciplined. I just remember like, oh, she is taking care of that voice. Yeah, yeah that's someone who respect who respects the moment that they yeah. are in. Also, yeah. who knows that they are there to yeah. serve that thing happening around them. And I did do that to an extent. That being said, I should have had mm, just a few um, some some fewer Jack and Gingers. Um, but I got to stand up on a chair and, and just kind of wail with the... That's the, what I loved about it. It was the, the, the staging of it, where you were, and the, 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 the largeness of it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's so cool. So many nights it felt thrilling, and a few nights it felt terrifying because I knew I wasn't vocally up to par. Right. That being said, I was doing eight shows a week. It was exhausting. I know. It was so hard. It was so hard. And, and you know, and, and here's... Here's something that's um, funny. I think I can say this on a podcast. Like, it's not that scandalous. But, like, so many of um, the deaf actors, like, some of the deaf actors, you know, they could go out and drink and party, and it wouldn't matter. They didn't have a, a vocal cords they needed to rest. Right. You know, they needed to mentally show up for the show. Right. And physically show up for the show. But vocally, fuck it. You right. Know? So, so they were... Uh, you know, so, so they were a bad influence. They were a bad influence. <laughs> and those fuckers. Those fuckers. <laughs> and they'd come to the show with full-blown colds and be like, I'm sick. And I'd be like, great. Okay, great. <laughs> now let us, you know, be on stage together and like slobber all over each other. Yeah. And, then, and then when we would get sick, um, that'd be an issue. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it didn't affect them in the same way because... They, and that's an interesting aspect of this particular show. Yeah, it was... It, there were so many things that were specific to this show that I had never even thought of before, and this was one of them. What is it like on Broadway to come out of the stage door and say hi to the fans? Um, uh, I always, when I go, and I, if I take yeah. part in that, I'm always interested in how people are. I, I remember seeing Anthony Rapp do Rent here not long ago. Or, no, he did um, the other one. If Then. And I saw him work the line, and he gave everyone a moment, but he kind of kept it moving. And I was like, that is masterful. That's like, he, 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 he gave people what they, they came for and, you know, acknowledged and was grateful and, you know. That's and what then, I had to learn But he kept it moving. 
I, yes, I had to learn how to do that. Yeah. Um, some nights there were a hundred people at the stage door barricade, yeah. and I had to um, show, you know, give them a moment and 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 and, and let me just say, I mean, walking out of a stage door is uh, an incredible and. Um, kind of overwhelming experience and every time it happened I knew this is a rare moment right and I you never to take it for granted no I cannot take that for granted I think there was maybe one night that I skipped the stage door and it's just because I was sick you know yeah. and I needed to just I, I couldn't I just right. couldn't um, but uh, but every night I would try to um, uh, you know give those people uh, those those fans um, face time and, and time to I don't know. I mean, I, I get it's a little... I get flustered time to connect, talking about time to connect about this experience <laughs> that you share. Yes. Yes, thank you. I, I mean, I get flustered talking about it because, you know, at the same time... You know, there... Uh, at the same time, it exists in me where I'm like, I want that star moment, and I'm, you know, and and that part of it feels so good. The other part of me feels like I, I am so I I want to hide, and I can't believe that these people are here. To see. Both of those things exist in me, and they're fighting with each other. Right. And uh, and I just try to like put my ego aside, say thank you, move down the stage star line, be thankful for the moment, and uh, and and know that. Um, what these people are responding to, um, especially with Spring Awakening, is a lot bigger. Right, than there were me. probably a lot of deaf people in the line. Oh my God, yes. So if if somebody deaf is in the line and they speak to you in sign language, would you understand much of it, or did you kind of learn what you needed to learn for the show? No, I, I really learned as much as I could. That's incredible. Um, I you know now I would say I'm conversational. Right. In sign language, I in, in ASL, I could I could talk to anyone. I could understand a lot of things, but I'm not fluent. You know. There's so many. If someone is signing really fast, or you know, there are a lot of there are a lot of things, concepts that still go over my head because it's such a complex language. And also now, I haven't really been that hasn't been a constant in my life right. for um, over a year. Um, so, uh, but but I would always try to sign with anyone who was deaf. Um, and uh, so I learned my parts. I learned. I also learned as much of the language as I could. Yeah. I mean, the whole thing was so... It was such a massive experience. I know. And even that stage door barricade was a big experience. Yes. Because, you know, there would be, you know, a kid in a wheelchair who was there seeing Ali Stroker in a wheelchair on stage. And they'd never seen someone in a wheelchair on a Broadway stage. And that's just... On Broadway. On Broadway. Having the, the, the Broadway... Being a Broadway star. Yep. Ali was the first actor in a chair who, who actually needs a wheelchair. On Broadway, she's the first one. Wow! And 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 what was so cool to see is what that, that meant to people. Yeah, to see what that meant to people, it was incredible. And uh, I'll never fully be able to take all of that in. Uh, Do you remember any particular people in line that like stories that stay with you? Well, there were a lot of um, there were a lot of kids who would come again and again and again, and yeah. I would develop little friendships with them. Nice, really nice, wonderful, you know teenagers or young adults who were there right. who appreciated the show and and I saw that a lot of those fans would become friends with each other and it was a bonding experience like for them community. too. Yeah. So a lot of those those stage door right. barricade fans became they they had their community. it was just What's it like when you see the kids that you were in high school? Oh my god. When you see the theater kids Well there were some times that I would see a kid and I'd be like, oh my God, that child is me and I talked to that kid for 15 minutes right uh, and and I would 
try really hard to give kids the kind of inspiration that once in a while I got when I was a kid. Um, th there are a couple of moments. Um, my eyes are I'm my eyes are watering already just thinking about it. <laughs> well, you know, when you're a kid, I think I think most of what I heard when I was a kid, I got a lot of nice uh, reinforcement, but I also got a lot of hey, have your fallback career and be careful and just you know, actors don't make it. And I think that's what I internalized more. Right. But there were also a lot of actors who I would meet at a stage door barricade. I had a couple of moments and they and they just changed my worldview and I saw myself in them and thought, oh my God, there could be a place for me. Right. And maybe I could be there too. Maybe I could be on the other side of that barricade one day. Yeah. And so when I got to be on the other side of that barricade, I did whatever I could to be so kind and appreciative of the kids who were there. And when I saw that kid, and it happened a few times, that kid who was me, and there were a few of yeah. them, I, I really tried to talk to them and know them and... Um, and, and inspire them and make them feel I did my best validated and and, and hopeful and yeah. good. I bet you I bet you were wonderful at that. I really um, tried. I'm a huge Duncan Sheik fan. Was he around? Yeah, he was around. What's he like? What's your favorite memory he's of him? He's kind of like a cool, laid yeah. back, kind of like you know, kind of like a dad, just kind of like a cool dad. Right. <laughs> okay, I'll take it. Yeah, he was great. I mean, yeah. he was he was so excited. And to I think see he probably him. wasn't expecting to have this musical have this moment at this time. So it was kind of like, wow. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's true. I think he was just thrilled. He was thrilled. And yeah. he worked closely with the band. Um, I was not a part of the band. Yeah. I know. He worked closely with them, and I think they have some... They have more personal relationships that, than I do with Duncan. But he was there, and he was so excited and just um, wanted everyone to take the reins and make some magic. I love which it. Is, which is really cool. How long did it run? We did, it was a limited engagement, I think we did 22 weeks. Oh, so you knew there was a hard out. Yeah, there was a hard end to it. So it wasn't like, oh, we're, we're closing. No, it was wonderful. We did, we did our time. So it didn't have that feeling of, oh, yeah. Yes, yeah, like, I did my, was, yeah. I did my time in prison slash heaven. And, yeah. And, and, I, and I left. And you, what was it like when it was over? Did you have like postpartum? Oh my, yeah. Yeah, I did. But it was also such, um, I mean, I, I, I guess you can probably tell from me talking about it it was such a loaded experience it was also full of so many life experiences like every we all everybody moved everybody had like breakups or the starts of relationships someone had cancer so uh, people were like i mean everyone was like going through things they were in it everyone is in it and so <laughs> there was so much like life stuff happening there, it's, uh, my uh, my friend's uh, father, who, one of my castmates' father, father suddenly died during the show. Um, Krista Rodriguez was going through her cancer treatments up until the beginning of previews. It was nuts, and there was so much. So when it ended, even though it was really sad, I was relieved. Yeah, you just want to go to a Korean spa down on Wilshire and have oh. a woman walk on your back. Yes, please. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, That's my thing. I have a woman named Betty that walks on my back. I'd like her number. She, I would love to hook you up. I think she's amazing. Okay, cool. Okay. Um, what was my other Spring Awakening thought that I had? Oh, did, did that experience change New York for you because when I met you you were a little over New York mm -hmm, that changed it yeah that's cool it made me feel um, the New York theater community is um, so incredible and can also be so vicious 
I mean, this is not news to anybody, right. you know. Um, but I have experienced, I think, um, all sides of that. And I'm sure there's still going to be more for me to experience right. in my right. lifetime. But uh, it was really nice that while I, I had spent time feeling rejected by New York, I got to also feel embraced by New York. And then I realized also, past all of that, past some more experiences, that um, none of it matters. And uh, the thing that really matters is uh, how I see myself. So that's, that's really what I'm trying to work on. And I just kind of go where the work is. That's awesome. That's so, so powerful. Talk to me about the Tonys, performing on the Tonys. Because oh you know that clip's going to live on in gay bars all over the world. It, you know, it's going to live on on YouTube. It's going to live on, it's going to be what kids like you look at. Like, it's, you, it's, it's, a, it's not just what happens on the broadcast. It's what it, it plays in per, per, perpetuity. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It is. I mean, I used to watch all of those old, I had all... The VHS tapes of the Tony Awards. Well, for some great shows, that's all you got was that Tony performance. You Mm -hmm. can't watch it on, you know. (laughs) Although I will say this. They did a new... They shot Newsies at the Pantages. Yeah. And Disney showed it in theaters for a few days. And they shot the shit out of it. It's so cinematic. The camera moves. And I just sat in the theater and cried through the whole thing. Because it was so... Musicals have that power because they're kind of working on all the senses at once. And they can just overwhelm you, even if it's not sad. And so I hope that more musicals do what they did with Newsies, because it was like a great document of a, of a show, you know? I hope anyway. so, too. I wish we had been filmed. Yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah. Um, they should have. Anyway. Uh, it happens. The Tonys. The Tonys. Well, um, because um, nothing can ever be light and easy, the day of the Tonys was also the Orlando shootings. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So I was... Um, So, that aside, first off, I was so thrilled. The the morning of the nominations, I got together with a few of my Spring Awakening friends. We woke up early, we got some bagels and coffee, and we watched, and we were just going to be at peace with whatever, but we just, we couldn't miss it. We knew our show was up. And then we were nominated for three awards, and we were crying. Best Revival. Revival, Best Director, Michael Arden, and Best Lighting. Yeah. And we should have been nominated for Best Choreography. Spencer Liff was robbed because he did some of the most beautiful work yeah. I've ever seen. I just He's a so-you-think-you-can-dance guy. Yeah. And, and when they had, cut to him in the audience, I'm like, he's cute. He's a handsome guy. Yeah. And, and he, he got all of these people who were not dancers, and half of whom were deaf, and one of whom was in a wheelchair to move across the stage and create this visual story and incorporate a different language into the choreography. What he did is monumental. And he's going to work forever, and I just think he's a genius. So uh, he was robbed, and that was sad for us. But um, we were thrilled that the show was recognized and thrilled that meant we were going to perform on the broadcast. Um, And uh, I was so scared... (laughs) I was just so, so, so scared. I have seen, I, this is true, I have seen every single Tony Awards broadcast. I'm a big theater dork, and they started airing the broadcasts in 1967 when Cabaret won Best Musical, and I believe Alexander Cohen produced it. Like this, I'm such a theater dork. I know? love it. And I've seen every single broadcast. And now the fact that I got to be on one, See, now I get a little emotional. Um, it was what, what did you guys do? I'm trying to remember. We did uh, the song uh, Mama Who Bore Me yeah. into The Bitch of Living. Yeah. So um, uh, it, was, uh, it was a dream come true. 
that I got to be there, and uh, I was scared out of my mind. Uh, and then the day of the uh, the day of the Tony Awards was that horrible, horrible shooting in Orlando. And then I knew how it was reinforced even more how important it was for that night to give people an escape and to give people hope and to give people this beacon to look to the way I had looked to it so many times when I was a kid. It was very, um, it was a very heavy experience for me. So I was, um, that's a lot. It was a lot. It was really a lot. And I was well, just and also thematically, your show talks about those themes of young people and sexuality and accepting People who, people who, as they are, and all of those themes that, that, yeah, were, um, yeah, and we were about to also, um, you know, relevant, and, and we were about to give um, deaf people a national stage. That yeah. doesn't happen a lot, yeah, you know, and I got to stand alongside them. That's amazing. Were you in your, were you in your body when it was happening when you were performing? Did you feel like you, do you remember like doing it? I remember parts of it. That's awesome. A, a little bit of it. Uh, yeah. there, there were parts where I was. Uh, I was aware of what was happening and at the parts I was having fun, parts where I was just freaking out and out yeah. of my body. Love it. Um, All of it. It was fast. The whole thing happened. Yeah. It was like that, you know. Who came backstage when you guys were doing the show, like celebrity-wise? Did you ever have those visitors backstage? Oh, 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 yeah. Um, during the run of the show? Yeah. Yeah, we had a lot of really cool people come and see us. Um, um, I, I mean, it's hard to even... Oh, Stephen Sondheim came. Oh, amazing. That was really cool, seeing him in the audience. Um, um, there were a lot of great people who came because they're friends with Cameron Mannheim or Marley Matlin, both of whom were in the show right. with us. And so uh, it was, uh, yeah, I, I mean, it's hard for me to think, but I know a lot of <laughs> impressive people came to see right. the show. Yeah. Well, um, I was reading online about you. And you, it sounds like you did a reading recently of a musical that's based on one of my favorite movies. Oh, it was great. The Talented Mr. Ripley. Yeah. Uh, and it's Stephen Schwartz? Uh, no, no. Well, he was... Um, I felt like he was in one of the posts that I read. Yes. So tell me about Talented so Mr. Ripley. So it was Ripley. being developed through the ASCAP workshop. Okay, awesome. And Stephen Schwartz is the head of the ASCAP oh, fantastic. Um, developmental workshop. I'm not sure exactly if his title or the details. Right. Are. But um, anyway, he was like watching and giving notes on the reading and it was it was... So uh, we just did the first act of it, and I sure hope it goes somewhere. And wow. Who wrote the music? Uh, Gregory Bonsignor and Aaron Kenny wrote the show, who are two young writers, and the writing is fantastic. And uh, I have no idea if it has a life, but I sure hope it does. Who do you play? I was Matt Damon. You were Matt Damon. Did you have a green Speedo? Can't you tell from my bone structure that I was Matt Damon? I thought you were Tom Ripley. (laughs) I was Tom Ripley. It was really cool. Oh my God, it was crazy. It was amazing um, because I got to... uh, well, I've been, I've been in L.A. now for about, I don't know, five months or so, and I've mostly just been doing the soap and yeah, it's some other um, TV things, and it was so nice to go back for a week and, and sing and play the lead character in a musical. I, that was so cool. And so I don't know if the show will um, have a future life. I hope it does. It deserves to. And I don't know whether or not I'll be a part of it because that's also a part of our right. business. Like we were talking about before. Yeah. I've been replaced before. I'll be yeah. replaced again. Right. That's how it works. But I got to have my week where I got to play Tom Ripley and have that awesome experience. Yeah. And I sure hope I get to develop it in that's the future. Amazing. What a, so you just did the first act. Yeah. That's all. That's what, what's the music like? What did it remind you of? Um, maybe, uh, Maybe something 
something that feels um, classical but contemporary. Yeah. Maybe like Fun Home or Grey Gardens. Right on. Okay. Yeah, it might be kind of like that. It has a real kind of, um, you know, they talk a lot about jazz and about standards, and you right. feel that um, that uh, that kind of musical flair in it, but still feels like new musical theater. Yeah. How does something yeah, like that, that come about? Do they just reach out to you, or is it does, does yeah, some that, audition thing? Is it? No. Uh, sometimes it's an audition. That yeah. one they just reached out to me, and I was just lucky enough oh, to well, be asked. That's so exciting, and I hope it. I hope it keeps going. Thanks. Me too. We'll see. We'll um, see. But there are you know many many things ahead, and we'll discover them together. And before I saw you in Spring Awakening on. On um, at the Walt Sandberg, you were in one of my favorite shows, For the Record, John Hughes. <laughs> now, the For the Record shows are these musical reviews that have been happening in LA and they're starting to branch out, but they take a filmmaker and then they put all of the music from their shows together in one sort of cool review with acting and draw scenes and all that stuff. And they've done uh, Baz Luhrmann and Scorsese. And you were in the John Hughes one. Yeah. And you rocked it so hard. Oh, thanks, you had all thanks. of the Anthony Michael Hall. You had all the, the that kind of track. Yeah, I was the geek. And I was, but you uh, were Ferris Bueller, too. I was Ferris Bueller. The geek got to become Ferris Bueller. I know. It was uh, a big moment. But yeah, I got, to be, uh, I got to be Ducky, so I got to meet John Cryer. He came to see the show, and he's become a, a friend of mine. That's amazing. It was awesome. It was awesome. I got to uh, do... I mean... That show is like, terrific. It was a concert. We rocked out. The coolest people were in it. It was uh, and it's immersive. So you guys are moving around all the time. Yeah. So I mean, it was a concert. It was an interactive theater piece. It was a musical. It was uh, it was all those things wrapped in one. And uh, and I felt like your track was really a great showcase for you. Like you got to tear some shit up. Thanks. It was and it I was, was like cool. I was so impressed by how good you were because I didn't know the musical part. I just thought you were a guy on a roof. <laughs> that it just moved here. I'll always be that boy. You'll on always the roof. be that boy on the roof. <laughs> we'll always have the rooftop. We'll always have the rooftop, Alex. <laughs> yeah. So what that shows though also is has the sense from the audience that like it's sort of it's sort of people doing it for the love of it. I'm sure they get paid and stuff, but it feels really like people just want to do their thing and they're gonna mix it up in the audience and then they're gonna drink at the bar afterwards and I don't know. I, they, it feels like such a cool thing to be a part of. It was, and it was um, the most fun ever. And it gave me a great, uh, a great community of musical theater people in Los Angeles. And uh, it also made performing on stage fun for me again because I was having, you know, a tough time. Right, you were having your thing. And so I, got to, I was having my moment. Um, so I got to uh, come here and have a different kind of moment. And I think that was, it looked super fun. Thanks, it was really it, was. What was it like to be out among the audience and stuff? Did stuff go wrong? Did it feel a little bit like... Um, yeah, sure. Like a, a, a very alive kind of. I mean, thing. nothing exploded, but like, yeah. but yeah, you know, some interactions would go better than others, right? And uh, uh, but it was uh, it was cool, you know, it was cool to be that up close and personal with yeah. people. Also challenging for me. I, I'm not. Uh, that took some getting used right, to. For right, right. You never worked on cruise ships, which is like what you have to do, <laughs> where you're always out in their habitat. Um, did you work with Rumor Willis? That's yeah. where I first saw her, and I was like, holy shit, she's great. She's awesome. Yeah. She's awesome. And that was, yeah. in a way, that was almost like uh, all of those For the Record shows, which I know Rumor's been involved in for yeah. a while, have been like a, um, helped her, I think, um, be so great on Dancing with the Stars um, and launch her into her next phase. Yes. Career. It really like helped her reinvent herself as 
more than the child of uh, famous people. Yeah. And she's just cool. She's a great talent. And and I think you told me you went in and auditioned for that. I did. I was actually really proud of that audition story, of that experience, because um, I I was so... So I went to see... um, for the record, Baz Luhrmann in oh, so December, amazing. which was unbelievable. I, they were everyone was so good, and they're all so beautiful. Yeah, they looked good, right? Right. Yeah, and there was good. one guy that was kind of really handsome, but he didn't really have that many songs in the first part. And I'm like, oh, he's not that good a singer. He's just really beautiful. And then at some point, he just busts out with his voice, and I'm like, damn it, damn it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I was in love with Constantine, who played. Um, uh, Christian Rouge. Christian, right? yeah. Yeah, he was so good. He's so dreamy. Well, I anyway. saw that show, and I and then I found out they were going to do John Hughes, and they were going to open it up to auditions. And I thought, oh, I will be in this. Yeah. They have no choice. Right. I will be in the show. Right. I will make sure of it. And so I went and auditioned. I had a good audition. <clears throat> um, I did a scene, and I, I did a song for them. And What I did, song did you do? Um, I think I did... Uh, I think I sang a song by Mika, whom I love. I love Mika. Yeah, I love yeah, his yeah, stuff because yeah. it's like pop stuff, but yeah, it's also yeah, musical yeah. theatery. Works for me, right? Um, so, and then they gave me the song "Try a Little Tenderness," and they said, "Okay, well, why don't you just take this home and and learn this song and, and make a tape for us of you singing this? You can send it to us anytime in the next couple of weeks." And I went home. I learned it in one hour. I drove back to the audition. And I gave myself a call back. And I was like, hi, I came back. I learned the song and I'm ready to perform it for you. <laughs> that's amazing. But, and they were like, oh, okay. That's the, I, is it the Ferris Bueller? Is it that character? That, it, that one was, um, 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 when it was kind of, well, it was kind of a hybrid moment. But it was like, it was Ducky, really. It was, du- it was, it from, was Ducky. It was the record store in Pretty in Pink. Yes, Where correct. Where he's lip-syncing and all that stuff. Correct. Okay. It started was, out in a scene from one movie, but then it ended with, like, right. becoming Ducky, putting on the glasses and the hat. And right, the, right, right, right. Um, it, was, it was really it, cool. It was the Eddie Potts record store scene in Pretty in Pink. That's okay. right. Yeah. So you so show up back. and give yourself a call back. I gave myself a I decided you, I'd call Was it at Rockwell? Where were the auditions? At DBA, which is no longer a venue. Oh, I love DBA. It, it was, was great. the best space for it. Okay. It was so cool. Anyway, um, they were at the nightclub where you did it. Yes, yeah, so I went back. Um, it was, you know, uh, and I, I decided I have a callback. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. But, you know, because it, it's so, like, in some ways you're very, not shy, but you're very, like, and then there's these moments where you really are like, I'm going to make this my bitch. And, you, and it, it's so cool and inspiring. Thanks. You know, I... I Sometimes, uh, sometimes I want to hide in a corner, but sometimes I, you know, can uh, grow a pair and really. I and, love it. So I, I'm, I, I try to have more of those moments because I was really proud of myself. Well, for, this is one of those for, great stories where it really pays off. So you walk in, you say, "I." I yeah, believe me, it's also not paid off. <laughs> I'm here for my callback. <laughs> here for my callback, and they're like, "Please get the fuck out of here." Right. Uh, so, uh, um, so I, I did that, and they were excited by me, and and I and and it, and it happened. I just I just knew I just knew in my heart I, I'm getting this job. So they were there. They, it wasn't like there was... Was there somebody else... Did you have to uh, cut in line with people that were waiting to audition or what? They just happened to be there? And no, their, their auditions were winding down. Yeah. And so they were at the end of their day. Wow. So I, I decided I have a callback. I yeah. love it. I'm going to start doing that more. What if I just start doing that on all my auditions? I think it's amazing. If I just came back and said, hey, hi, I'm here for my callback. I bet it would work sometimes. Oh, it worked in this case. Maybe. Well, it worked in this case. Yeah. Um, but it felt like a, a room, the kind of friendly, yeah. excited room that would receive 
Um, this news I love like it. that. <laughs> oh, he has a callback. I guess he does. Um, so that was my for the record audition story. And it ended up being such a fantastic experience. And, and I hope uh, they. I love that. I hope they bring that back because I, I love it. I saw the Scorsese show at the Annenberg, <clears throat> and that was great. Although I love that DBA setup. It was great. Yeah, it was a good setup. Anyways, oh, and I had a crush on the music director who I actually interviewed for this podcast. Chris Bratton? Yeah. Those blue eyes. Oh, those are some blue oh eyes, right? God, it's a lot to deal with. <laughs> um, so you you are on Broadway, and then and then you're, now you're on soap. You were part of the Marvel Universe as well. Yes, I'm on Marvel's Iron Fist. Which was a Netflix uh, thing that dropped. Yes. It dropped. And what's it like to be part of the Marvel Universe? Did it feel like you were part of a kind of fraternity or that there was... That there were projects separate from you that were connected, or, or does it just not? It just feels like a regular job. Does that make well, sense? Well, it felt in, in filming it, it felt like a regular job. It felt like a, I'm, I'm on a TV show. I'm on there's a cool TV characters show. and a story. There's and, characters yeah. and a story, and I have to say my lines. Um, but I, but I also just knew how cool it was to be a part of this world. Right. And I was just um, very excited. I got to be a small part of this. Um, very cool universe. Yeah, and uh, and I, I I don't it dropped not that long ago, but I don't know if we should spoil it or anything. But what kind of character do you play? I play a very nervous, sweet assistant. Yeah. to the villain. Oh, fun! And I'll just say, episode nine is real fun for me. Yeah, and I had a and I had a, a, a I got to have a real moment in that one. That's amazing. Um, what have you been recognized more on the street for? Because I would think Iron Fist fans, Marvel fans are super fans, and that might be one, or... They are. I've been recognized for, for that a couple of times. Yeah. And, um, but I think the thing I've been recognized for the most is probably Spring Awakening, because I've lived in New York a lot, and uh, that, I think that... Well, what I love about I Broadway know. and stuff is you see the show, and oh my god, they're so amazing, and then they're on the train with you. Yeah. Or I saw Andrea Martin take her bike out of Pippin and just ride down the street on her bike. So it's kind of, you're more likely to run into the people that you've just seen. And it feels like you have a, a real personal connection yeah. when you're there in a room with them. Yeah. That feels even more like a connection to me than yeah. watching a television show. Um, so I think Spring Awakening That's is really cool. recognized for the most. Um, that but, you know, we'll see. We'll yeah. see how life unfolds. I also don't go out as much. I mean, it's different in New York. You walk down the street. I pass. Oh, I pass thousands of people a day in yeah. New York. Here, I come in contact with three people a day. Right. So, so it's not. It's just not as likely. It's not that like, yeah. Anyone's gonna. That makes sense. So you, you're here for a while. Um, is that? I think so. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. All right. But Every you, day you don't have anything. You don't have anything coming up in New York that you know for sure or anything. No, New York. No, yeah. I'm gonna do a musical this summer in the Adirondacks. Which is where? Uh, that's, Maine? No, that's uh, upstate New York. Upstate New York. Oh, oh, it might cool. also be in Maine. I don't really. What's know the musical? Um, I, I mean, I think I'm. I think I'm doing it. It starts rehearsal in a month, so I imagine I'm doing it. Yeah. But uh, they haven't made a press announcement about it yet. Yeah. Okay. Should I like? No, it's okay. Okay. You can tell me later, and then I can tell them in a future episode. Okay, it's cool. official. Wonderful. They they all hang on every little development of uh, somebody. Thought, you know, they're all they're all keeping track of these little mysteries. They might be. Um, where'd you grow up? Cleveland, Ohio. Wow. Yeah. Um, when did you go to New York? Uh, For school? No, I went to school in Boston, 
Okay. And then I I went to New York right after that. Nice. And yeah, yeah. And then LA, New York, LA, New York. LA, New York. When you first got to New York, were you excited? Was it like, oh my gosh? This oh, was I was a, a kid in a candy store. Yeah. I remember one of the biggest moments was um, watching the Food Network and seeing. Um, a restaurant they were featuring on the Food Network and then realizing I could go to that restaurant. Right. I had never done that before. So I turned off my TV and went to the restaurant. What was the restaurant? You're going to laugh. It was Shake Shack. I was going to guess. Shake Shack. (laughs) I knew I was going to guess Shake Shack. But this was like... Why was I going to guess Shake Shack? I don't know. This was early Shake Shack days. It It wasn't quite as... You know, it wasn't so commercial. It was more like an indie thing. Right, you know, but I, I felt like I was discovering Shake Shack. There's an article on the guy that founded it in Esquire, and I was like, oh, the Shake Shack dude is, uh, is, is sort of thought of as, you know, cool enough to be at Esquire, so maybe that's, that's the cool. Food Network thing. Maybe, yeah. yeah. And the one in West Hollywood, there was a line forever. Anyway, all right, you picked a bunch of observation deck questions, so we'll just rattle through these. Okay. It's fun. Should I try to go fast through these? Yeah, you don't have to, but, you know, uh, have you ever been starstruck? Yeah, 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 yeah. I was at opening night of um, Buyer and Seller, and Bernadette Peters was sitting in front of me. Oh, that's amazing. I was flipping out. Right. She's the ultimate star. Yeah. She still looks amazing. Yeah. She still looks like Bernadette Peters. Yeah. It's kind of cool. She's everything. Did you say hello? No, I couldn't. Yeah. I couldn't. Now, Byron Seller is written by our mutual friend, Jonathan Tolens. An amazing writer. An yeah. amazing guy. Yeah. I just saw him this weekend, and we were talking about you, and then you texted me, and I was like, I bet he talked to Jonathan. Anyway, <laughs> uh, what movie have you seen more than any other? Um, this is weird. AI, Artificial Intelligence. Really? Because I went with my middle school crush. We went to see the movie together, and then it always held a special place in my heart. It kind of represented my first love. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So you went one time with this this person. Yeah. Boy, oh. with this nice boy. What's and his name? <laughs> I can't. I won't say his name. You okay. don't need to say his name. I can't. But, and, then, and then I saw it so many times, because it you know felt like a young love to me. Because when you would go to it, when you went to it, that was amazing. Yeah, it was this moment, this moment in my in my early life. Well, because it's discovering a, love. Well, it's also kind of a, a cool movie with a young. There was a boy at the, yeah. in the center of it, right? And it's sort of a, his own coming of age story. Yeah, it's beautiful. It fires on all cylinders. It's a beautiful movie. Here's my memory of AI. Um, in the year it came out, I shot a short film with Jack Plotnick. Uh, called Evie Harris Shining Star that became the Evie Harris Girls Will Be Girls or whatever. And we shot it on Hollywood Boulevard and it was our, it was really funny. It's still online. It's great. But at the end of the of the thing, his character Evie Harris gets, literally gets on the city bus and drives away and the sign on the side of the bus is AR, Artificial Intelligence. So I always <laughs> know when that was that we did that and I always think of, that's what I think about yeah, when I think That's of a AI. moment in time, you yeah. know? That's really cool. But you go back and watch it again. That's cool. I do. I like it. What's the most unprofessional behavior you ever witnessed? Um, I... Oh. Oh. Okay. I'm not going to say who this person is. You're not going to say the name. Okay. It was in rehearsal for a play, and the, the woman who was the lead of the play was a famous woman. And one time she was taking a, uh, a long moment, um, and the script prompter... Um, said her line because he thought that she had gone up on her line because she was holding forever and she goes how dare you get him out of here get him out of here he is fired he is fired how dare you stomp on my moment my moment that I mean, i've never seen anything like this and the entire room was 
shaking and silent. You could hear a pin drop as this woman was taking down this poor boy. Like, who cares? He was you just came trying to the, do his job. Yeah, and like, also, who cares? You know, who cares? Yeah. Just be like, oh, thank you, I got it. You know, you can be ticked off if you want, but yeah. like, she had him fired. So that is one of the most shocking things I've seen in the rehearsal process. And there was no comeuppance, there was no, no happy end of the story. No, there's no happy end of the story. Yeah. He was fired. Yeah, and, and that woman is now president of the United States. Oh, uh, but like, kind of. <laughs> kind of. I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll tell you later. I'll tell you later. I'll tell you later. I'll tell you later. What project have you worked on that you feel has been the most underrated? Is there some little gem that you're like, that was cool? I yeah, wish. I did this off Broadway musical called, called Triassic Park, and we recorded an album for it. We all it was Jurassic Park from the perspective of the dinosaurs, and I played. Um, we were of course all lady dinosaurs because that's how they're all genetically bred in right. Jurassic Park. So I was um, a lady Velociraptor named the Velociraptor of Innocence, and uh, we recorded a cast album which you can listen to. Okay, and uh, it's called Triassic, spelled with a Q. No. I lied. Triassic, spelled with a C, and Park, spelled with a Q. You can look it up on iTunes or okay. wherever you get your music. Triassic I love Park. it. And was it fun? It was hilarious. I love it. It was like a crazy, weird spoof and the most fun ever. The thing I like about the Jurassic Park movies is I want the dinosaurs to eat everyone. I'm not on the, any of the human sides. Well, then you'd really I like want them Triassic to eat Park. Everyone, the kids. Well, you would really Bryce Dallas Howard. Totally. Well, you would like this then because you know it's about um, these young um, dinosaurs and they're in in search of truth. Yeah. What is beyond these walls? And lunch. Yeah. I truth love it. And lunch. And okay. They, yeah. It's cool. worst job you ever had. Um, I was. <laughs> I did this show called um, ABC's Primetime. What would you do? With John Quinones. Oh, God. Yeah, where they do those weird situations and... Fucking awful. And I was on... Um, what did you do? I was a son coming out to his father in a cafe, and he starts screaming at me, saying he's going to disown me, and they wanted to see if the other people in the cafe would step up to my defense. Um, what they don't show you... I mean, like, am I breaking contracts by talking? Like, I don't care. It was seven years ago. I'm never doing this job again. Um, and I... I uh, That's what, so... Oh it, my god. It was so I mean what they show is kind of inspirational because yeah. they're on, you know, they're on the right side of history showing, right. you know, it's important to step up and support your your gay children. Fine. But what they don't show you is that they're manipulating all these people around. And there was one woman who stepped up to my defense and was like, don't yell at your son. How could you do that? I would never treat my, my baby like this. And, and, how? and then when John Quinones walked out and was like, surprise, you're on camera. She was heartbroken. So, what the fuck? What? And she did the right thing. And she did the right thing, and then she felt completely used, and, and she should have felt used. Yeah. And I felt disgusting. And I never, ever, ever will do one of those things again. Wow. But you had to act your ass off and cry. I had to do it seven times. They, I do it once, they take me to a van and like wait till the, rest, like, the restaurant cycled through. No Glad Award? And no, not a single Glad Award? I didn't even get up. Freaking glad award. <laughs> Not even a nomination. That's um, such a weird job. Isn't that weird? It's a weird job. It's okay that I'm talking about that on a I podcast, so. right? Yeah. Whatever. It's like, it's the truth. It's life, you know? And also, I don't like hidden camera shows. No, me I don't either. like, even like, I love Howard Stern. I don't like prank calls where they call somebody that doesn't know they're being recorded. Yeah, I don't like tricking people. I don't like, I'm not uncomfortable. I'm not comfortable enough with that to find it entertaining. I get uncomfortable. Me too. Even if they're assholes on the other end. So, wow, what a job. Yeah. Okay. 
Do you have any scars or tattoos with stories? Yes, I have a, um, a little scar on my side over here. Right. And it's um, from... Uh, when I when I was young and I was uh, I watched Six Feet Under as it originally aired, which is I think the greatest television show of all time. Yeah. And I won't give any spoilers, but something uh, something very shocking happens. Well, many shocking things happen in yeah. that series, but one in particular. You can spoil that. It's been... I cannot okay. in case someone has not gone on the okay. journey. It's too sacred. Okay. Okay. And something <laughs> really, really um, that ripped out my heart happened. Yeah. And I remember it happened and I started going, what? 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 And I, and I was running around my basement like a chicken with my head cut off. And then I uh, started to run upstairs and I ran into the banister on the staircase that cut through my side. So I was clutching my side and bleeding and crying about this moment that had happened on the show. And I got to say the pain of what had happened on the show far outweighs the physical scar that I have. But I'm glad I have a physical scar that represents the emotional trauma that was six feet under for me. I think Alan Ball should hire your ass for his next show. I, if you ever get to audition for him, that story is going to... That's going to seal it. Oh, God, I hope so. Right? It's a great story. Yeah, he'd be, it'd be a dream to work with him. I think yeah. he's an absolute genius. Wow. Do, we, did you have to go to the hospital? What happened? No, it wasn't that bad. I just okay. bandaged it up. and uh, Yeah, okay, and, but, but I, there's still a scar for that. Yeah, I have a scar, though, yeah. Wow. What job were you the most excited to learn you got? I think when I got the call that I was going to get the offer for Spring Awakening, yeah. I, um, I was at a, my friend's barbecue, and I just fell over. I burst into tears and wept. And I remember my manager... Were you surprised that it was that powerful a moment? No, because the build-up was so intense. And you knew what it meant. Am I going to get this moment ever again in my life? Will I ever get back to Broadway? Will I yeah. ever get this moment again? Right. And it was such an enormous gift to get that moment again. And I was so overwhelmed by it. I was just weeping. And so I think that was one of the biggest uh, awesome. phone calls I've ever gotten. You were about to say something about your manager? Oh, sorry. The, uh, my manager, I remember he was on the phone with me. He said, he's like, why are you crying? Of course you're going to be on Broadway. And I was like, but we don't know that. We don't know that. Right. <laughs> and it's happening. It's happening right now. <laughs> um, but it was so profound to That's me. That's awesome. What was your lowest point professionally? You picked some good questions. Um, I think I think I've already answered about my lowest points professionally. After after um, Liz Estrada Jones. After that one, and after uh, and another, and I think being replaced, I've, I've been replaced in some painful ways before. Yeah. Once I, once I was replaced um, by in a show went from workshop to production. I did the workshop, and then the production happened, and the guy who got the production over me was my ex. Oh my god. That was that's got to hurt. That hurt. He he bested me in both my personal life and my professional yeah. life. Take everything. Do you want my car? I know it was crazy. Do you want my back? Here, take my computer. It was crazy. It was just so. It was such a perfect storm. Uh, but it was a perfect shitstorm. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was a painful moment, but but also like you know the things I ended up doing, I wouldn't trade. I always have to remind myself of that. Right. Well, you just gotta. I don't know. I think the more I live in in trying to pursue what I'm pursuing, and the more people I talk to, I think the most important thing is resilience and how you manage yeah it's the disappointments i think it's more important than almost anything that's what it's about that's what it's i think that's what it's about the best thing uh, the best advice i ever got was from dick latessa rest in peace who's a wonderful who was a wonderful stage actor right and he said to me that the people who do well in this business are the people who stick around 
And I didn't really understand what that meant when I heard that when I was young. Um, I was like, yeah, stick around, sure. Um, and then to understand what it means to be resilient in this industry, yeah. it is, it is a, one's life work to be resilient yeah. in this industry. It is so hard. Uh, but you have to be. And if you stick around, you'll yeah. find your way. You, your story is so inspiring in that way. Thanks. Dave. Have you ever written a fan letter? Totally. Um, <laughs> when I was young, I wrote, um, this is so random. I, I don't even know if your listeners will know who this is. Um, I wrote fan letters to Lauren Kennedy, who is a Broadway actress who was like, like she did the original production of the last five years in Chicago. And she was the understudy for Emily Skinner in Sideshow. Like this is a theater actress who... I could very well work with one day. I wrote her full, like, crazy fan letters when I was 13. Like, I'm obsessed with you, and I... I don't know. Like, more than one. Several. And she stopped responding at one but point. But she responded She responded first. a couple times, and then when she didn't respond to a couple, I, I, I understood where I had gone too far. Yeah. And that was a learning experience as, wow. a, as a young person for me. That's amazing. I still think Lauren Kennedy is amazing. I'd go see her in anything. Yeah. I bet you get to work with her in something or something. Maybe. You never know. I'll tell her that story one day. Yeah. Where's the coolest place you've gotten to go for work? Uh, Germany. Oh, cool. I was just there. Really? A couple months ago. Yeah. Um, also South Korea. Yeah. What did you, did you do shows there? I did a musical in South Korea and I did a commercial in Germany. What was the commercial? For Etika Supermarkets. It's their a German supermarket. Yeah, it's. I think it's kind of like the German Whole Foods. It's like an upscale. Um, How do you get that commercial? It was so random. I got it. Do you it. speak German in it? No. Uh, yes, in it. Yeah, I do. And then they dubbed my voiceover. But my lines were "Milk meat für calcium, gut für die By the way, my pronunciation is terrible. That's but like, pretty good. Though. But they just tried to get my mouth movements right. Feta and gut für und hier vitamin A gut für die Haut. And it's something like. Um, you know, here's milk. It's good for your bones. Here's um, How do you audition for a German commercial? It was in English. And right. I auditioned in New York. Yeah. And then I got a call, like, on a Friday morning. And they're like, pack your bag. You're going to the airport yeah. in an hour. <laughs> it's crazy. That's cool. Have you ever toured with a musical? Yeah, I toured with Wicked. Oh, how fun. Mm-hmm. I did uh, probably ten cities around the U.S. with Wicked. Who were you in Wicked? I was Bach, the munchkin, who was in oh. love with Glinda. That must have been cool. It was. I love That's that so show. Cool. I love, love, love that show. Oh. What? Because I love the music in that show. And I, I did Pippin, and I used to love when Morning Glow would come on, because I just oh. love that song. What song in, in Wicked made you feel? The Wizard and I. Oh. Because I got to watch it every night from offstage left. I was offstage left, and I got to watch the last minute of the song, and I would enter shortly after. So I watched her have this big, belting, gigantic moment Every night. I, it's I, just soaring, right? Soaring. I got to watch her soar every night. Who Incredible. was your... Who was... Where the, Jennifer was, Denoya was okay. Alphaba, and she's currently the Alphaba on Broadway. Right and on. Haley Pachoon was Glinda, and she is in Hello, Dolly! at the moment. Nice. Yeah. When you're touring on the road, you become like a family, but does it become incestuous? Or are people having affairs and breaking up, and they, there's... There's lovers at home that don't know what's going on. Um, it wasn't that sorted. Right. There certainly was drama because any little thing is spun into something bigger, especially right. when these are the only people you see both socially and at work. You know, yeah. So any little moment becomes dramatic. Um, but, uh, but it was a 
very well behaved company. Yeah. You know, they've toured long enough and there are so many people of different ages in the show that everybody, um, for the most part knew how to, you know, be there in a professional capacity and not kill each other. That's cool. Yeah. What's your favorite souvenir from a job? Uh, in Lysistrata Jones, my final costume was a toga and there was a metal, uh, a gold piece covering my nipple. I had a gold nipple. And so I got to keep my, that's my, cool. My gold. Well, I mean, I stole it. My little like, gold yeah, nipple. like a Janet Jackson. Yeah. My thing. little gold nipple covering. Where is it now? It's under my bed somewhere, like in a box. I, I have a little it. box of souvenirs. Um, what does your family think of your success? The most supportive and wonderful ever. That's awesome. They're great. I'm very Always. lucky. Very lucky. To have yeah. a family that supports me and, and loves what I do and comes to see all the shows. And When you were yeah. growing up in Cleveland, did you feel like the arts were around you? Did you feel like it was where you were or did you feel like it was somewhere else? No, I really felt like I was. there was a huge art scene in Cleveland. That's that was awesome. That was awesome. Um, and I got to do so many shows as a kid and teenager and, and that helped me a lot. I mean, that's, you know, I know anyone listening to this podcast knows this, but that's why arts education is so important. Yeah. Because it, it breeds the next generation of artists and, and art supporters and lovers. I mean, all of that. We all, yeah. we all know that. What was it like when your parents came? Did they come to Spring Awakening, I assume? Many times. Yeah, so cool. Many times. It took them a minute to get into the show itself. Yeah. Because that's just not a show that's speaking to them. Right. Um, but they really loved it. That's sort it. of the point. It speaks to young people. Yeah, it's really it's really for young people. Yeah. Um, but my parents loved it and they were there a lot. Any award show stories? You told me about the Tonys. And the Daytime Emmy Awards. Okay, then we covered it. We covered it. What's your favorite bad movie? I'm hesitant to call any movie bad. Right. But like Sister Act 2, I've seen a thousand times. I love it. Showgirls, I've seen a thousand times. Have you seen Sister Act 2 more than Sister Act 1? Yes, absolutely. Because it's got the kids and the choir, right? Yeah. yeah. It's my spring awakening. It speaks to me. It does. I love it. <laughs> uh, what was your worst audition? Um, I remember... Uh, well, I probably have many, but... Uh, well, I, I had this audition once where um, it was a really busy time and they gave me a bunch of scenes to learn. And so many times at auditions, they give you a lot of scenes, but they only have you read the first one, especially in theater. They do right. this. People are getting better about it now, but I've had that experience dozens of times. And it's very frustrating when you put right. in work and you're like, okay, at all of the scenes when you could be great at one scene, whatever. So anyway, I went and I learned, I only learned the first scene because oh. I was, uh, um, I you was, were like, you were like, um, I, I think I was in the midst of Valentina a, on Drag Race who didn't oh, prepare the lip sync song. Devastating. Devastating. Cause devastating. she thought she had it in the bag. Yeah. It was, that was a very upsetting moment. I'm still not I, I thought she was going to win. She's a, she's a star. We all did. She didn't do her homework. I know. She didn't read the other scenes. Well, she didn't read the other scenes. <laughs> well, I mean, I just, and, and I fully admit this is a mistake that I made, but I remember, uh, I read the first scene and it was really good. And yeah. the casting director said, great. Uh, can we see the second scene? And I said, no. <laughs> and she said, okay, goodbye. And I was right. like, yes, correct, goodbye. And I left and I never went in for that show again. Wow. It was you very live and learn, right? You live and learn. I've made a lot of mistakes, but, you know, it's how you, how you um, get through. You are probably my favorite person on Twitter. Oh, my gosh. Thanks. I don't love Twitter. I hate it so much. But whenever <laughs> I read your things, they, they land they're smart, they're well-observed, they're funny, they're not putting people down. Like, you're, if I were going to try to be more active on Twitter in that way of, I'm going to send out my thoughts and hope people, you know, whatever, I would try to be like you. 
Well, I really appreciate that. Do you um, write? Like, have you written I do. things? I do. Because you're a smart writer on the uh, Twitter, is any indication. Thanks, Dennis. I, yeah, I have a play that I've written, and I'm trying to find... Uh, I've done some workshops of it. That's um, so cool. And hopefully in the next couple of years, few years, I'll get a production somewhere. What's it about? Uh, it's about um, pretty much everything I've talked about in this podcast, which it. In, in that it's about uh, resilience. Right. It's about artists and resilience. Right. And getting beaten down by the man and, and getting up and still making yeah. shit. About Back that. to Twitter. What's your, what's your, uh, you're good at it. Thank you. Do you like it? Does it, does it. Um, to be honest, not anymore. You're, yeah. Social media is, um, this again is not news to anyone listening. Yeah. It's such a, uh, an angry and toxic place right now. And it used to be a place where, uh, I think we could, um, put up our creative writing and say funny things and I think it's less and less and less a place where that is a possibility right uh, it's now a landscape where there's only room for political fury which right. is very important but is to me not the only thing in right. my life and not the only headspace in which I want to live right there's also um, I also want to um, I just want to talk about other things yeah. too yeah uh, so I, I Social media makes me sad, yeah. and I'm actually trying to, and I do it less than I used to. But I share a few of your favorite things that 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 people seem to really like. Because you've made this observation of like the you know, average human, I'm going to uh, mangle this, spends 3.5 years of their life uh, telling their computer to remind them tomorrow about their updates or whatever, <laughs> which is true. I do it every day. I'm like, how many updates are there? I don't know. So many. It's I like, know. Like, please do it once a week. Why once you, a week. Once a week. some slack, MacBook yeah, Pro. Honestly, it's yeah. enough. It's enough. We get it. You're yeah. updating. You know, we get it. Was there, one, was there one thing that you posted that really seemed to tickle people? Well, yes. I have one tweet I wrote that went viral and has almost 2 million notes on Tumblr. Oh, my God. Um, it has about almost 15,000 retweets and 2 million notes on Tumblr. And the, the tweet is, since it's impossible to know which period of my life is the middle, I've decided to have an ongoing crisis. Bam. There it is. Drop the mic. Drop the mic. Um, that's cool. Well, because of this conversation um, about social media and stuff... I was friendly with Kathy Griffin for a number of years, and that I ended. Love her in the well. That ended in like the mid two thousands for whatever reason. But okay. when this thing blew up with her, like people were reaching out to me, like, "Well, what do you think?" And da 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 da. And then the social media, and there's this thing of like, "What do I think?" And do I think the right thing? And if I, I, I none of, I, I'm not voicing anything publicly, mm -hmm. but I'm going through this thing of like, "Oh, what if I?" What if I got it wrong? And then I realized, oh, I don't have to weigh in. Nobody's clamor. There's no law that says I have to have a thought about Ivanka Trump, uh, her gay tweet. Yeah. I don't... Nobody's waiting. And I also realized something interesting, maybe, about myself. And, and because of, I think, things having to do with the, my family growing up, the idea of... Of putting anyone out in the slightest mortifies me. And so the idea that I could type something and maybe make somebody's day a little worse. Yeah. I can't abide it. And I'm not saying that as like, uh, I, it's a, necessarily a good thing, but it's very much a part of my personality. Um, like the other day I was in a show and the woman next to us was talking really loudly. And my friend that was kind of sitting over here texted me to, to tell her to shut the fuck up. 
And I really had to go, okay. You had to work up the courage. To say, shut the fuck up. <laughs> and she was being rude and loud and no jury in the world would have said, oh, she's got a right to be like that. Right. And, and it was fine when I did it, but it was a workup. That's something I missed. Uh, I haven't been to therapy in a while, so I'm I'm using. No, this. I appreciate that. I'm also using this as my therapy. Good, session. it's going good. I think we've we could have used some tissues. Um, here's my last question for you. Oh well, where should people follow you and stuff like that? What do you? Uh, well, on Twitter, if you if you dare. No, I, he's, uh, you're doing it right. Okay. You're doing it right. I don't know. I maybe, but I'm also. They're well observed. They're fair-minded. They're funny. Thank they're you. smart. It's just you know, it's just everything else that is posted on Twitter just makes me sad. Every time I open Twitter, I get sad. Well, and the thing it's is, hard for me to feel and good there's about a part it of us. Maybe it's because we're creative or we're trying to build careers where we feel like it's some responsibility we have. Nobody is saying. You have to comment on Ivanka Trump, for instance. Yeah. yeah. You have to weigh in. I think um, um, recognizing that um, is very freeing. Yeah. And uh, I, st- I, I am better now about not feeling like I have to comment right. on everything. I'm still not good about um, just closing Twitter. Yeah. Sometimes I still feel like I get lost in reading that yeah. very angry timeline. I, I, I know. Well, I've stopped scrolling Facebook as much because uh, I read a, 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 some writer or a, a talk where he said it's like playing a slot machine. Mm-hmm. And you can, you can get something that makes you feel bad. Yeah. And it's usually because other people are doing well. <laughs> or, you know, or look at my showbiz victory, yeah, everybody. That's real. That's real. Yeah. No, but it makes it bums me out the rest of the day. Yeah. So maybe I don't need to play that slot machine. Yeah, mm-hmm. but Alex has really fun tweets and smart Thank tweets. Thank you. Um, to answer your question, they you never me they on... never make my day worse. They always make them better. Thank you, Dennis. Uh, Twitter is at Alex Wise and Instagram is at Alex J Wise because some asshole took my name. Um, that fucker. Okay, here's here's my last question for you. And yeah. Let me see if I can make sense of this. You have a lot of sensitivity. I know that um, from knowing you and meeting you, and I think it's what makes you a good actor. But it also makes the business part can make it hard. Mm-hmm. And I'm just observing from the outside. So how do you manage that? I, does that make does that make it, I need this part of myself because it makes me better at what I do. But I I, I can't. Uh, but it's but it. Uh, it's not, it's it's not, not an great, asset in terms of the business. Right. Isn't that the great quandary of being an artist? Is I that you have is. to simultaneously be hard and sensitive? Yeah. And knowing how to how to switch those hats. Yeah. It's and hard. being able to. It's hard for me. Yeah. I guess all I can say is that the more I do it, the better I get. Well, and you're active. And I know just from our conversations and interactions that it's something that you actively work on. I do. I, you, I, you don't go, oh, why? You don't, you're aware. You have a, an awareness of like, okay, how... What this is and how can I manage it? Yeah, yeah. I I just practice all the time, and I know that the more I uh, the more I get knocked down, I think the easier it is for me to get back up. Right, and and you always feel like it is there for you in the work when you need it, uh, and that's part of the job. What my sensitivity, my openness. yeah, or you, you know what I mean, like uh, that you're able to do um, your thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, to varying degrees. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I'm not, it's not surefire every time. Right. Some days I don't feel creative. Some days right. I... Like anybody. Yeah. I'm, All right. That last question was a little weird, but I think you knew what I was getting at. I do. Um, I have to pee so badly. I adore you. And I, I, I'm so, I like, I'm so happy that I, I think you're so talented. And I'm like, I have this really talented friend. He's so talented. I can carry that with me Thank when I drive you. around. 
Thank you, Dennis. I'm like, the respect is mutual. And um, I'm thank you. really thrilled I met you on that rooftop. I know, our rooftop. We'll always have the rooftop. We'll always have the rooftop. And hopefully many more adventures. Yeah, we will. All right. And thank the two, you, one, three. Yeah, exactly. Um, thank you. This was great. Sweet. Bye. Oh. All right. Thank you, Alex Wise, for giving me so much time and sharing your story and your thoughts and your adventures. I could have talked to Alex all day. All right. So this happened, okay, I was taking this class through the Actors Fund called Managing Cash Flow for Artists. It was six weeks. It was kind of intense. There was a lot of homework, and I really got so much out of it. And one of the things that the teacher, Miata, talked about was finding side hustles to sort of support you and and bring in extra income while you're doing your thing or whatever. So I became obsessed with the term side hustle. Um, I think it's one word. Maybe it's two. I don't know. I like to say it. This might be Side Hustle Summer. I don't know. But um, she also turned me on to a podcast called Side Hustle School that comes out every day. And it's like a 10-minute uh, podcast about somebody then at the, the, and the business they started on the side and how they're doing it and whatever. So um, anyway, I figured out what I think I want my side hustle to be. And I want to run it by you guys and see if you have any thoughts that you want to share by emailing me, um, if you think it's a good idea or a bad idea or something about the idea that I should consider, uh, you can email me at dennis at dennishensley.com. Okay, so here's my side hustle idea. I think it's called Lifecast by Dennis Hensley, kind of like Obsession by Calvin Klein. And what it would be, it would be an interview that I do very similar to the way I do my podcast that someone would get or buy for themselves um, on a special occasion. Say, I have a friend that's turning 50 this year, and I offered to interview him and give him an MP3 file or whatever you know the podcast format is about turning 50 and where he's been and what he's done and how he feels about that. And that could either be shared with family and friends or loved ones, or it could be just something for him. But it's a way to capture... A snapshot. Maybe you didn't keep a diary, or maybe you're not interviewed on video, or whatever. It's just a way of capturing and uh, preserving somebody's life or a part of their life. Um, kind of one of the things that inspired it was when I interviewed my friends Jeb and Steven at the end of their round the world 14 month odyssey, and they were able to talk very. Um, it was all very fresh, and they were able to talk about it and share that with other people that asked them what their favorite places were. They were able to sort of say, here, listen to this. Or say your parents are having a 50th wedding anniversary or a a parent is celebrating a landmark birthday. And one of the friends that I ran this by said, I think that would be a great idea because my dad will never talk to us kids about being in the war. And so there were so many things about my parents that I knew nothing about. So um, I would like to do a live cast where I use my experience interviewing people and um, bringing out, you know, certain trying to trying to capture people and bringing out the best of them in a short time and sell that as a side hustle. So anyway, if you have any thoughts about that, if you think it's a horrible idea, if you think there's an angle that I should approach it with, if you think you'd like to do one, maybe I'll do some do some practice ones with people. The only thing is, it would have to be in person um, as of now because that's how I record my podcast, and I also think that's where you get the more um, chemistry going and the more sort of casual thing. The cool thing about this podcast is I don't have a ton of equipment and people sort of feel like they're not on. They're able to sort of talk. That's what I hope to achieve with that anyway. So anyway, that's my side hustle for Side Hustle Summer. 
if you have any thoughts about it, go ahead and email me at dennis at dennishensley.com. And um, I'll keep you up to date as I, as I move through trying to bring it to life. All right. That's a long podcast today. Thank you all so much for listening. Thanks again to Alex Wise. And we'll catch you next time on Dennis Anyone. Bye. Bye.